Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Thank you for joining us again for this week's Alabama AgCast. This is Jacob Davis, Executive Director of the Alabama Peanut Producers Association. Today, we'll be talking about the most consumed nut by Americans, peanuts. Today's guest is Mark Kaiser, Vice President of the Alabama Peanut Producers Association Board of Directors and District Director for the Alabama Farmers Federation. Well, Mark, let's start out talking about this year's growing season. What went on in Alabama? Well, the growing season started out pretty good. But we did have some stand problems due to some quality issues with seed. And also, there was a cool snap in late February, early March time frame. Close to ideal growing seasons through August, good temperatures and timely rains. By that time, everyone was expecting a real good crop, above average yields. And then Sally came in September. It hit right about the time people were starting to dig. The early peanuts were ready. And then we ended up getting 20 to 30 inches of rain when Sally hit. And that caused us to be out of the fields for about two weeks. And that's going to hurt yields. It made landfall around Gulf Shores. And it affected a pretty large area. And since it was so slow moving, it just dropped a lot of rain. The reports I received from farmers after Sally included damaged center pivot irrigation systems, severe soil erosion in fields, and dug peanuts that were submerged underwater. Yes. Once we were able to get through the initial part of the storm, like I said before, it remained cloudy, overcast, misty for over a week. So when it finally did dry out, everyone was ready to harvest. And then there was a shortage of peanut trailers and wagons from the buying points. And then we had to face Tropical Storm Beta, which was the next system to impact our region, bringing more rainfall and more delays. Hopefully, we will have some more detailed harvest and information in a few months as to how these issues impacted yields and farmers' bottom line. Now, let's switch gears and discuss something that's been in the works for a long time now. Governor Ivey issued a press release on September 15 announcing the creation of Coastal Growers, LLC, and a new $87 million peanut shelling facility coming to the city of Atmore. Tell us a little more about that project and what it means to the state. Well, this will be Alabama's first grower cooperative shelling facility. Groundbreaking took place uh, October 8th, and we anticipate to start shelling peanuts in December of 2021. Um, this will be an opportunity for peanut farmers to get vertically integrated, uh, not just have the ability to profit off the crops which we sell, uh, but have the potential to make a profit off further processing. Uh, we'll be servicing southeast Mississippi, southwest Alabama, of course, and northwest Florida. This region typically produces excellent quality peanuts due to the fact that we get timely rains uh, all through the summer. That enables us to have healthy peanuts, low alpha toxin, and then they can meet the export markets a lot better than a lot of your other peanuts that don't get those timely rains. We just don't need 30 inches at harvest time. Uh, The shelling facility also has some uh, positive aspects. It'll be 50 miles from the Port of Mobile 
and that's going to allow us easy access to global export markets. I understand that more than 90 growers have already invested in the company with operation sizes ranging from 50 acres to more than 5,000 acres. Yes. The goal for the shelling plant is to shell 150,000 tons of peanuts in 2021 from that growing season. By doing this, it will increase competition in shelling facilities in the state, hopefully, and will help all growers increase their bottom line. Already, there has been some interest from other manufacturers about buying our peanuts. Now, let's shift focus of the conversation to consumers. Peanuts are a nutritious and delicious source of plant protein. In addition to being shelf-stable, not requiring refrigeration, peanuts and peanut products are relatively inexpensive and help stretch a budget. During this current pandemic, Many consumers have turned to peanut products for those reasons. According to recent data from USDA and U.S. Census, peanut consumption reached an all-time high in 2020 at 7.6 pounds per person, with more than half of that consumption being in the form of peanut butter. Speaking of peanut butter, Governor Ivey also issued a press release on November 12 regarding an expansion of the Golden Boy Foods manufacturing plant in Troy to increase their peanut butter production. Yes, Golden Boy Foods is investing $13 million in their Troy, Alabama facility. This will create 67 jobs for that area and increase the peanut butter production for Golden Boy by 150%. This will make their plant one of the largest nut butter manufacturing facilities in the country. Expansion should also create more demand for Alabama peanuts for years to come. Those two peanut projects announced by the governor this year total $100 million in economic growth for our state, just for peanuts. That will certainly add to the more than $211 million economic impact the peanut industry has in the state of Alabama each year. And with the increase in peanut butter demand, that expansion makes perfect sense. When we talk about peanut butter demand, we got to talk about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's one of the most iconic foods of all time. The National Peanut Board released some stats about the PB&J, and uh, they're pretty interesting. The first reference to the peanut butter jelly sandwich appeared in a cooking magazine was 1901. And 64% of people prefer creamy peanut butter, and 36% prefer crunchy. Now, I'm in the creamy camp myself. Me too. And uh, 19% of consumers prefer their P&J crustless. The crust doesn't bother me, as long as it's not an end piece. But the PB&J ranks ninth among the top 15 sandwiches Americans love. So that's true, and that's why the average American child will eat 1,500 PB&Js before graduating high school. Now, that's a lot of sandwiches. And Alabama's peanut farmers appreciate all the support consumers across the nation give them by eating peanuts, peanut butter, and other delicious and nutritious peanut products. Thank you for joining us for this week's AgCast. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. I'm William Green, Director of the Wildlife Resources Division for the Alabama Farmers Federation. Uh, this week, we'll be covering something uh, particularly important to our outdoorsmen uh, who are listeners uh, and covering 
uh, tree stand safety. Um, I know a lot of our folks out there listen and say, oh, man, I'm, I'm good. You know, my, my stands are safe. My shooting houses are all enclosed. I'll be OK. Uh, but we thought it was important to take a few minutes and, and, and cover this again. Uh, we're joined in studio this week with Chuck Sykes, director of the Wildlife Freshwater Fisheries Division of the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Chuck, appreciate you coming in and talking about this important topic. Absolutely. This is something that, you know, every hunting accident in the state comes across my desk. and Every year, there's senseless loss of life and people that are permanently disabled. And basically, it's because we've we've done it so much, we've gotten complacent. Sure. And look, I've been there. I've done that. I was 20 years old, bulletproof. I'd throw a little lock on on my back and a fanny pack full of either cotton spindles or screw-in steps. You didn't know what a safety harness was. You know, the first ones we used was just a lap belt, and if you'd have failed, mm-hmm. it'd have pinched you in two. But the technology now with full-body harnesses that just clip on, they're not cumbersome, they're not bulky, there's no excuse for what comes across my desk every year. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I was telling you earlier, I keep uh, my harness and a safety line in my hunting backpack. You know, if I'm if I'm at a, a, a particular property I've never been to and I say, hey, come, come spend the weekend, let's hunt. And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, I'll get up that morning and say, don't worry about your harness. You're in a safe safe tree. You're good. Uh, I've, I've been in too many situations where I get there and it's a two by four with one deck screw in the middle. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm too soft and, and too scared to, to pretend like I'm too tough to do it. So I always keep mine uh, on me and, and ready to roll. Well, Each year, I get a little more cautious just because of what I see year in and year out. Um, I have lifelines now on all of my lock-on and ladder stands where me or any guest that comes hunts with me, when your feet leave the ground, you're attached. Because probably 75 or 80 percent of the falls that take place from tree stands are going into or coming out of. There are a few that happen when you're in the stand, you fall asleep or a strap breaks or something, but most of the time it's getting in and getting out. So by this lifeline, I'm attached the whole time. And another thing, a lot of people think that, well, it's newcomers, it's young kids, it's not. I'm going to say 80 or 90% of the accidents are anywhere from 35 to 65 years old. They're people that have been hunting 20, 30, 40 years sure. and just get complacent. You know, think it's never going to happen to me. I've done this a hundred times and it doesn't take but one slip and it's over with. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's definitely interesting. And I, a lot of the accidents that, that I have known too have actually come from right before uh, hunting season where everybody's trying to limb up a, a lock on or uh, move a shooting house or get something in preparation. Yep. They're thinking, you know, I'm only going to be up in a tree for, you know, 30 seconds cleaning up a few limbs to make shooting lanes. And next thing you know, there's one slip, one, one missed handhold. And, and, yep. and, you know, it's, it's a bad accident. Well, we had a couple last year um, that actually took place out of permanent shooting houses, big box blinds. Really? Um, one individual, like you said, was early season, was getting things ready and was leaning out the front window of the house, clipping limbs, and the whole side caved in. Another one, just a freak, the thing wasn't six feet off the ground, didn't have a good rail on it, slipped, fell. So it doesn't have to be a 30-foot lock-on up a tree. It can be something as 
simple as a box blind that's three feet off the ground, you still have to be cautious. And I used to, but I'm getting old and fat now. I used to take all my bow stands down at the end of the year, put them all back up. I just didn't have time to do it this year. Sure. So a week before bow season came in, I carried someone with me, which is always a good thing. Don't ever go out there by yourself. And I had somebody on the ground. I was lifelined in, and I was up trimming those few limbs, checking all the straps. I had a big tote full of straps and extra ratchets and whatever I needed. So I go through and check all of that every year. If you've got climbing stance, make sure all the bolts are good, nothing's rusted, nothing's loose. This is definitely one of those things where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when you're talking about a tree stand fall. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of a lot of the guys that, that I hunt with in my club, we uh, we kind of live by the saying that if you look at it and you think, oh, that's good enough, redo it. Yep, it's uh, not. It's never good enough. Make make sure it's going to be perfect. It's rock solid. Use a new strap. Make sure it's nothing's rusted. Um, and you hit on it too. Uh, we, we have a uh, we have our work days. We make sure we're in pairs at, at the minimum. You know, I've I've heard of too many terrible accidents. Somebody slipping, falling, and then they're hanging there by themselves, and nobody knows where yep. they are. So even if you don't want your hunting buddies to know that exact spot, sure. Let your wife, let somebody that doesn't hunt, at least let them know where you're going to be and give a time range when you're going to be out because there are every year we get a call at midnight, well, so-and-so didn't come back at dark. Well, the time to call us is right after dark. Those two or three hours where somebody may could be laying there going into shock or hypothermia or something like that or have a punctured lung, I mean, let somebody know where you are. I know these good spots are sacred and you don't want everybody in there, but safety wise, and if you're not doing it for yourself, do it for your family. It's not too macho to get up and stand with a safety belt, safety harness or lifeline. Yeah. Think about who is going. If you fall out and you're paralyzed from the neck down, somebody's going to be taking care of you. Sure. Or heaven forbid, it's much worse and, and you die during that fall. Then your family is left to pick up the pieces. So don't be selfish. Go through just a little extra time and effort to protect the loved ones at home. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there's really, you know, at this point, there's so many cost-effective um harness solutions that are comfortable. Um, you know, back in the day, they were bulky, cumbersome, hard yeah. to walk in the woods with. You know, I, I have one that's streamlined, fits under my jacket. It's it's comfortable. It's got an easy release if I have a fall. Um, and I think I got it for, you know, $50. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's nothing that's going to break the bank. And it's, it's something that, you know, I feel comfortable every time I step in a tree or climb a tree that I'll, I'll be protected and I'll get home that night. Well, so. the, the big thing is, is just like everything we use now, technology has progressed. Like I said, when I was in college, the first ones that came out, you wrap one end around a tree and one around your waist. And we thought we were doing something <laughs> then. Then it was those big bulky ones that was like a set of jumper cables. It'd take you 30 minutes to get it unwound and figure out how to get in it. Now it's just a couple of clips. And if somebody doesn't see the strap sticking out of your coat, they never know you've even got a safety harness yep. on. They're not cumbersome. I bow hunt with them. There's no excuse now for... 90% of the hunting accidents that come across my desk every year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Chuck. Well, 
Chuck, thanks for coming in today. We appreciate you joining us talking about this um, incredibly important topic. Uh, for any of our hunters out there, we, we really do encourage you. Go get you a new harness if it's been a couple of years. Make sure your stands are safe. Make sure your straps are good. Make sure you've got lifelines. Uh, you know, your, your health and safety is, is really kind of the most important thing. You know, this is a, a recreational sport. Uh, hope everybody has a successful season this year. Uh, stay safe. Uh, and thanks for tuning in. And we will see you all next time. Thank you for joining us for Alabama AgCast. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash AgCast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.